We're going to talk in just a few moments about sharing in the gospel, but before we do that, I want to say a couple of things. I, I am really grateful to the, um, the good AV crew you guys have back there. Thanks. I, I would say nice things about them even if it wasn't real because otherwise they can... But they didn't do that. But they've gotten everything loaded and ready, and I, I really appreciate that. I so appreciate the, the work the song leaders have done. The thoughtful presentation of songs that, that bring us where we need to be with a lesson. That, that is so helpful. Not, not required. Everything doesn't revolve around the sermon. Um, I've... At times when I was a song leader before I preached, and song, preachers would sometimes say, hey, I'm going to preach on this tonight. Get all your songs ready in that area. I was tempted at times to go and say, hey, all my songs tonight are about love. Preach a sermon on that. Because they're all valuable. All that's valuable. But the prayers and the songs that have been offered have been so thought and so helpful in pushing us to where we want to be in these lessons. I'm grateful for that. Um, I was a little concerned when Roger started out saying, I, on Sunday morning, I took us up to this bird's eye view at 20,000 feet, and then he said, and now we're in free fall. I think that may have been what he said. <laughs> he did. <laughs> now we're coming down to the lower level to look at it, but we have only three more lessons, and these are, I think, going to be very practical lessons for you. We're going to talk about specific areas where we can focus our koinonia together, our sharing together, our joint participation in all these things. I'll say one more thing. Roger likes my glasses. It's not that big a deal. They give them to you when you buy the car, so it's not that big a deal, really. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to give you a, a quiz. I don't want you to answer anything out loud. But I'm going to put a series of things up on the uh, overhead. And I want you to look at them, and I want you to rate them. By that I mean, after you see them all, I want you to say, which of these do you think would be the most important for your church to have? The most important. And then take them in order down to the, the least important. What could you not do without most. And uh, man, I don't know if it looks that small for you up here. Is it songbooks? I, I, I should have increased the font. Those of you in the back can't see. Can you see that, Chris? Can you really? You got the eyes of a beagle to be, to be able to see that. All right, songbooks. Now, what I mean by that is, think about how, how valuable, how important is that to what you're doing as a church? Not asking you to answer out loud. Here's the second one. What about air conditioning? You know, in Florida, that's pretty important. Uh, every state in the United States gets an opportunity to put two statues in the Capitol building. And those statues are of people that have made a major difference in that state. And when Florida put their two up, they put one of the conquistadors who discovered Florida and the guy who invented air conditioning. That's literally true. Those are the two guys that have made the biggest difference in the state of Florida. And those of us who live there would say, amen. 
That is true. All right, what about the preacher? Or a preacher or preachers? And then what about a building? You know, think about the value of the facility you have here and how important it may be to your worship and to your fellowship and to the propagation of the gospel. And then the last one, what about money? Uh, whether you call it a treasury or just the, the spending, uh, the collective spending ability of the congregation. All right. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody, I'm not going to ask anybody to say what's your choice so you're safe. But I want you to rank those. If you had to do without one of them, what would be the first one to go? And second, what would be the second one to go? And then third and fourth, and what would be left? What would be the last one there that you would say, this is the most important for us to be a church serving Jesus Christ? And now I want to tell you, there is really only one of those on that list that's in the Bible. There's really only one. Songbooks aren't in the Bible. I, singing is. Singing certainly is, but songbooks aren't. And buildings that were owned by New Testament Christians didn't exist. I'm not saying at all we don't enjoy the blessings of those. They're wonderful expedients to have. I'm not opposed to them. We use them in my home congregation also. And some of you may have fudged on the songbook and said, we don't need songbooks, we got slides. Ha ha. I'm, I'm adding that to it. The idea of having some kind of system of organized singing. How valuable is that? How critical is that for us to have? Songbooks, not in the Bible. Buildings, not in the Bible. Air conditioning, certainly not in the Bible. Now, you could say money is in the Bible. They're, they did collect on the first day of the week money, but if you're thinking in terms of treasuries that stockpiled money for future purposes, there isn't any evidence of that happening in the New Testament church. It, it, I don't, I'm not opposed to it, but you don't see that as a vital requisite of a New Testament church functioning. There's only one on there that's found in the scriptures, and that's preachers. Preachers. Absolutely critical to the work of the church. And you may be saying, okay, Ralph, how does that relate to koinonia? I mean, how is that subject of preachers? If what you're going to do is just talk about the value of preachers tonight, how does that relate to our relating to each other in the body of Christ. And I have got a passage for you. You need to go there right now. Galatians chapter 6, and I'm looking at verse 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Our word koinonia is in that verse. Do you know where it is? I hope you're seeing it now. Here it is. I'll use it. The one who has taught the word is to koinonia-ing, or koinonia with all good things with the one who teaches him. Is to share. That word share 
is our word. It's our word, koinonia. We're to have fellowship with those who teach us. Sharing with teachers. And I want to say, I'm thinking this goes well beyond just those who are what we would tend to call full-time or fully supported preachers, or if you want to use the term, professional preachers, those who make their living of preaching. I think that this also has application to those who teach Bible classes, whether public classes at the church building or private classes in homes or in public settings. There's no distinction in Galatians 6, 6 between one kind of teacher and another kind of teacher. So, I want you to think about why that is. Look at the passage again. The one who has taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. There is implied in that verse a sense of reciprocity. The, the teacher gave you something of value, perhaps the greatest value of all, and we who are taught then share with that one what we have. He or she has shared with us what their labor has produced, study, information, application in the Word of God. And Galatians 6, 6 says, and we do the same thing. We share all good things with the one who shared all good things or the most important thing with us. We respond. So the, the money is one aspect of it. But there are also other ways. When we, when we lived in Mississippi, there were members of the congregation that had gardens, and they would often bring the produce from their gardens and share it with my wife and I. We were urban people. We grew up really urban. Um, I remember one time being on my grandparents' place. My grandparents had orange groves in central Florida, and my grandmother would take the trash, and instead of it being picked up, it would often just be burned out in the back, and one time I came across some milk jugs and thought I'd found a cow's nest. Is this on? That was funny. Is this? I mean, I, I really was about that ignorant, but I loved homegrown produce, and people would bring it. The only one I didn't like, I, I really read them crazy about zucchini, and I learned real quick when, it, when the zucchini was in, you rolled up the windows on your car. It didn't matter how hot it got in Mississippi, because if you left the windows down, you were going to have zucchini, whether you wanted it or not. It was all in your car. And uh, I, I learned quickly, roll the windows up. We'll suffer through the heat, because zucchini didn't do it for me. But it was one of the ways, it was one of the ways that the members of the congregation could share with those who taught, and in, in this case, me as a preacher, a very young preacher, 
But there are other ways of doing that also. Um, I, I know of cases, and, and I'm going to make some real concrete suggestions to you. You have women and men teaching your children, and they're teaching them the most important things in the world. There's nothing more important than what they're teaching them. Not math, not science, not history, not English, not biology, not astronomy, not grammar. Nothing is more important than what the teachers who teach your children here teach. Nothing. And yet oftentimes during Teacher Appreciation Week, teachers in the public schools, the private schools, and the homeschooled situations, they get all kinds of gifts. My wife was a teacher. My wife was a teacher. I've got two daughters that are teachers. I have a son-in-law who's a teacher. I mean, I lived in that atmosphere. I knew all those acronyms. I didn't know what they meant, but my, my women and my son-in-law were all the time talking, oh, he needs an EPS, or they need an AGD, or they took that OHG test, you know, oh, that's a horrible one. I never knew what any of that meant, but they could converse with each other. But my wife really got a little tired of apples. You know, I mean, it came in all different forms. Some were real apples, and some were apple candies, and some were candied apples, and sometimes it was brooches, and sometimes it was a pencil with a big apple on top of it, or a, a paperweight, or any of those kinds of things. She got lots of apples. And it was a way of saying to her, by the parents, we appreciate what you do for our kids. But if we do that in that setting, shouldn't that be happening in this setting? Listen to the passage. Listen to the passage. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches him. You got extra tickets to a ball game or a concert event or a museum or a vacation? Have you thought about giving it to a teacher? I'm not just talking about preachers. This is not, and I can say this. I can say this because you're not doing this for me in all likelihood. Though at times that has happened, that somebody gives a, a, a gift to the visiting preacher and says, thanks for what you did, and that's wonderful. I think it's an application of what we're talking about here, and I wouldn't refuse that. But I can say this about your teachers and your preachers because I, I have no vested interest in it except to tell you this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this. Let the one who is taught, not, not the group. I, I'm, I'm going to say this to you. Listen, please listen to this. You may be saying, well, we pay Roger and we pay Jason. That's, that's how we're carrying this out. No, it is not. No, it is not. We have often looked at this section of Scripture, and we come down to verse 10. And it says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. And we argue, we argue, and I think rightly so, contextually, this is not a church action. Now, we argue that. Verse 10 is not a church action. It's an individual action. There is a church action that's different 
and it is a benevolent outreach by the church, but this is not it. This is what individuals do. All the pronouns in verses 1 through 10 are individual pronouns, not group pronouns. So if we're going to argue that verse 10 is to be carried out by individuals, what will you say about the verses between verse 10 and verse 1? If anyone's caught in the trespass, the church is to restore such a one. Does it say that? No. No. Verse 1 says, you individuals who are spiritual, restore such a one. So you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. That's individual. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing. Verse 3, that's individual. Verse 4, each one must examine his own work. That's individual. Verse 5, each one will bear his own load. That's not a church statement. There's not a church application in one of those verses. And then we come to verse 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. That's your individual responsibility. And I'm not telling you how to do that in terms of, so you need to give this amount of money or this gift or that gift, or if it's a teacher this quarter and not next quarter, you only give them this amount, but if they taught all year, you give them more. That's not my point at all. But my point is this. If you have teachers who have taught you or your family or your loved ones, you are to share all good things with them. I, I, I can't say that firmly enough. It is an individual responsibility. And wouldn't that be wonderful if we were all doing that? Wouldn't that be great? Don't you think the teachers would feel wonderful about that? You know, I think probably the most common thing I hear from teachers is, if they speak up at all, it's, well, the only way you can get out of a class teaching is to die. Because we're just kind of left there until we either die or can't take it anymore. That's not the way we ought to be treating, treating teachers. We ought to be showing such love and affection and attention to them that they love to teach. I can't wait to teach again. I love, I love teaching because I love the response of the people. I'm not talking mercenary. Just the fact that we're appreciated goes such a long way. And I will tell you, I've had brethren all my life who've done that for me. So this is not a complaint from a bitter preacher. Not at all. Not at all. But there are all kinds of ways we can show that. A note written to the teacher just to thank them for what they've done. Just a, a beautiful note of expression of your love and appreciation can make such a difference in the life of a teacher or a preacher. We are directed, actually, to help preachers in their work. I mean, we're told to do that. I want you to notice um, one thing about 
that passage before we leave it. We're going to come back to it. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like a command. It looks like this is the way it is. Do you notice that? If, if Paul had wanted to make that a command, he would have probably said, the one who is taught must do this. But he just says, it is this way. This is how it's done. And the assumption is we will respond that way. I'm afraid the reason we haven't done enough of this kind of koinonia is we've left it to the church as a whole to take care of all that. But the church cannot carry out Galatians 6, 6. That is the individual's responsibility. Yours and mine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, So the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. I want you to notice who's being ordered here. How would you feel? How would you feel if somebody in this congregation said, um, I, I believe I should be preaching the gospel. I believe that's what I should be doing. I, should, I, I believe I have the skills and I've trained myself and I have a heart to do that. I, I should be preaching the gospel and then left it at that. And you might say, um, so what do you want us to do about it? Well, 1 Corinthians 9 says, the Lord directed me to get my living by the gospel. So the ball's in your court. It's now the responsibility of the saints to carry out the command that God gave to those who preach the gospel. The thrust of Galatians 6.6 6 isn't that we must do it, but that it makes sense. Since we benefit from what they do for us, that we let them benefit from the things that we in turn do. In uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 27. Romans 15, verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. They are indebted to do this. It's not, it'd be a good idea if you do that. It's not, it might be nice if you do that. It's not, you might want to consider doing that. It's that you have a debt to those who have shared the gospel, there's our word, koinonia, shared the gospel, we're still in this context of koinonia, fellowship, sharing, joint participation. We haven't left that subject at all. This is a way of sharing in the gospel with those who teach us. And back there in that passage, I, while we were in 1 Corinthians 9, I, I didn't tell you to stop and look at verse 11, but it says... Listen, verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 
Paul said that to the Corinthians. Paul said that. Paul said, hey, if we're, if we're sowing spiritual truths in you, do you think it's too much for us to say, you owe us material things? You owe us that because that's how we make our living. That's the passage. God instructed us to make our living in the gospel. So there is this indebtedness to do this. It's not just, yeah, you know what, I think I will. This is not whether we leave a tip or not. This is whether we pay the bill or not when we're fed in a restaurant. That's what's under discussion here. And, and those of us who preach the gospel have every right to feel we should be compensated for what we do in that. Now, we may turn it down because we don't need it, but this is an expectation that the New Testament church had for those who preach the gospel. So let me give you some practical terms about this, some concepts. First of all, about individually sharing. Have you ever thought about this? Is that maybe the historical reason for the feed the preacher list? Have you ever thought about that? You know, every congregation that I go to to preach in a meeting, and I'm sure this is true for the rest of you who preach, um, when you go to a meeting, there's a feed the preacher list. And, of course, it, it makes you feel really good when you go and the list is full. And occasionally you go someplace and the first announcement is, well, Ralph's here for the meeting, but we've got we to fill that feed the preacher list. Nobody's signed up yet. Now, you people need to do that. That doesn't make you feel very good. But have you ever thought that maybe that's part of this reciprocity idea? I will tell you this, this week you're feeding me really well. I hope I'm feeding you half as well as you're feeding me because i got to go home and answer to my wife for what all I've eaten here. I hope that your souls are fat this week. This idea of the feed the preacher may, may have its roots in that very idea. Let him who is taught... Share all good things with the one who teaches. But here's the real crux. Now, let's, I'm going I'm to get tough with you on this. I think the beauty of this idea is that truth is so important to us that it doesn't matter even if the truth hurts we're still going to demonstrate our reception of it and our appreciation for it. In other words, if we were to put it in these terms, if I were on the list and tomorrow night, I'm just going to use a name. Tomorrow, I've eaten with them already, but I'll use a Beckham's. They were on the list for Tuesday night to feed me. And then I said some things tonight and Larry and Debbie talked it over and said, I'm not happy at all with what he said. It felt like he was really preaching right at us, and I, I, don't, I don't appreciate it at all. He's not coming to our house to eat. Just because I didn't like the message. Now, I don't do that to my doctors. I go to the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, yeah, you know what? You're kind of behind on some of your shots. We're going to give you a shot today, and 
they come in and give me a shot and I say, okay, that's it. I'm not paying that bill. I'm not going to pay that. You may be uncomfortable. Or he says something to me about what I've got to do. You better adjust your diet or you better change this or I'm concerned about you here. No, you made me feel bad. I'm not going to pay you now. I'm not going to pay you. Would that be right? No. On what basis? You'd say, well, Ralph, you may not like it, but he's trying to help you. Bingo. Right on the nose. Is the preacher trying to help you? Now, maybe he didn't say it the way you liked it. Maybe the teacher, she, didn't say it the way you would have said it. Maybe it hurt your feelings a little bit, but was the intent to help you grow deeper in the Word of God? If it was, then don't change Galatians 6.6. 6. It takes diligence and faithfulness to the Word. It takes constant consideration to continue to support those who sometimes say difficult things for us, but they're said with our best interest at heart. I do believe that it is a practical way for churches to support those who preach and, and maybe those who teach in a, in a deep way and, and need to be supported in that. But it still... The church treasury, which we will talk about, Paul talks about that, we, we're going to get to that, still it doesn't take away from what is being said right here. Let me suggest something else. We are sharers, not givers. We're not givers. Giving implies the idea, I can do it if I want to, but I don't have to do it. But sharing implies a relationship that I am obligated to maintain and propagate. I've already told you, my mother would say to me, she didn't say, have you got, have you got two popsicles there? Yes, ma'am. Give one of them to your sister. She didn't say that. My mother didn't say that because she knew this wasn't about giving. She'd say, share that with your sister. Why? It implies relationship like we've been talking about. So this is not a matter of, hey, I really appreciate the class you taught us, Brother Jones, the class you taught us on this subject. I really appreciate that. I want to give you this. I just want to give you this. No, that's not what it is. I want to share this with you. Why? Because you shared that with me. Does that make sense? Are you getting that? Yeah. Good. We share out of relationship and love. We give at our own discretion. I may do it or may not do it. But sharing implies a deeper relationship. So let me talk for now and until the end of the lesson. I want to talk about sharing with missionaries in a, in a special way. Some things... You as individuals need to think about doing. Not, I'm going to tell you, this goes well beyond posting their reports on the board and expecting members to read it. It goes beyond that. Let me show you how. I'm in Philippians chapter 1, and I'm looking at verses 3 through 5. 
Philippians 1, 3 through 5. What I want to show you in this passage is these are not things we are doing for others. These are things we're doing with those missionaries for ourselves. There are benefits we reap from that. I'm going to show you. Philippians chapter 1, I begin in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Man, Paul, what in the world are you praying about those people for constantly? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Koinonia is in that text. You want to guess where it is? It's in the word participation. Our word is there. The word we've been using. In view of your koinonia. See, that's why we don't use just the word fellowship because it has such a condensed, focused definition by most of us. This word is broad. So here's the question. How were the Philippians partners and sharers in the gospel, participants in the gospel, when most of them, maybe all of them, had never left home? How were they sharing in the gospel of Paul when none of them in all likelihood, maybe a few, but none of them had ever left home. How were they sharing with him in that? Koinonia, remember, is not only sharing in something, but sharing with someone. They were joint participants in the gospel message. How? Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You wanted to be involved with me, but you lacked opportunity. And what was that? Verse 15. You know that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia... No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You see our word, koinonia? It's in the text. No church shared with me. No church had koinonia with me in the gospel, but you. They were sharing with him how? Supplying his needs. Verse 16, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. I wonder if they sent him any zucchini. They sent for his needs. And then, realizing they had a debt to the lost. And Paul was a conduit that they could use to reach some of those lost you know, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world. That's for you and me. That wasn't just the apostles. But how do I go into all the world? I'll tell you how I go. I go by helping those who go. 
I have fellowship, relationship, participation, partnership, sharing with those who do go into those parts of the world. And their success becomes my success. And I rejoice in that. And God gives me credit for that. Look, I want you to look at verse 17. Verse 17 is so powerfully indicting. He says, not that I seek the gift itself. Here's Paul saying, it's not about the money that I get, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Your account. I want to tell you what Paul's saying. I'm going to put it in our own words. And I, I'm, I'm certain you're going to react the way I probably would have reacted to this. Let's say I'm a missionary and I come here. I'm, I'm doing work in Trinidad and Tobago. And I'm, I've come here, Roger has invited me to come here on behalf of the elders. And I come and he says, Ralph's going to speak to you about the work. And I speak about the work. And then I say, listen, I have a real blessing for all of you. I, I want to tell you, I'm going there to preach a gospel. And I am giving you the opportunity to support me. I know. I'm giving you the opportunity to Support me financially so I can go do the work there. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you. I'm extending an opportunity to you to do that. And I think some of us would say, who in the world does he think he is? The Apostle Paul? Uh, that's the argument. Isn't that what Paul said? Look, it's not about you giving me money. Because you might be saying, hey, I mean, the guy is so bold as to think that he's giving us an opportunity to give him money? That's no, not about the money. It's about the opportunity you have to preach the gospel in Trinidad and Tobago. You have a chance to do that. You like that idea? You want to do that? I'm giving you a chance to do that. I'll help you preach the gospel in that place. Now, you may wrestle with what I've said. You might say, I'm not seeing that. Stay in that text for a while. You can even stay there till the end of the sermon if you want. Wrestle with that text and see if that's not exactly what Paul says. So many times I feel so bad that we get letters from preachers that are wanting to go to other places to preach. And they, and they sound like they're on their knees begging. Would you please help me? If you have the resources, would you do that? I understand why they do that, because they've probably been told no a lot, and they're getting gun-shy, and they just are begging now. But it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way at all. I'll tell you this. Paul would never do that. Paul would never come to this church and say, I know you've got a lot going on, and there are a lot of people you could help, but I'm just begging you, please, would you please help me? Paul would never do that. And it has nothing to do with him being an apostle. It has everything to do with him being a conduit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, I'm giving you a big opportunity. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss it. I can be a big help to you 
it goes to your account. It increases on that basis. So it's a team effort. Um, in 1988, there was a brother-sister team in a Midwestern city, and this brother-sister team were going to the Winter Olympics Calgary as a skating duo. <clears throat> but they didn't have the money to go. And so the town where they were raised the money to send them to Calgary. And I remember watching those Olympics, and when they got out on the ice and skated for the first time, do you know where the cameras were focused? Not on them on the ice, but on this big gathering in this small town. A big gathering in a small town at a restaurant where all the people in that town were watching the screen for their brother-sister duo that they sent to Calgary to compete. And when that couple competed and they did very well, that place erupted. Why? Because that's us. We did that. We sent them there. They're our duo. That's the way the gospel works. That's the way preachers and congregations work together. We're all involved in that work. So, let me give you some very practical, quick applications of how we can help these missionaries in the work that we do with them. Real quick, Philippians 1 verse 19. He says in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Your prayers are going to result in the propagation of the gospel. Seven times in the book of Philippians, Paul wrote to the brethren to pray for him. Seven times. He wanted to be recalled. He wanted to be remembered to God. He could live without their money, but he couldn't live without their prayers. Now listen to that again. He could live without their money, but he couldn't live without their prayers. <clears throat> I don't know what this church does for missionaries. And you may all be saying, Ralph, you're preaching to the choir. We do every bit of that. But you probably are very diligent to make sure your treasurer, if you're supporting people in other places, does that consistently and never misses a time. That's good. Nobody likes to miss a paycheck. But are you as diligent? I hope you are. Are you as consistent in praying for those missionaries specifically? Do you think the Philippians just prayed in general for preachers that were everywhere, or do you think they were praying for Paul? I think the latter. Calling him by name to God. I think prayers for preachers are more neglected than paying money to preachers. Structure your prayers to remember those. Structure your prayers. Put those missionaries' names 
before the congregation and pray for them. Maybe have somebody take their reports and pray about their specific needs in those reports. Because to pray effectively about their situation, you've got to really know what's going on in their lives. There are some things you can assume, but there's a lot you can't know if you're not in contact with them. How can you know unless you stay in touch? Write them. Write them. Parents, parents, teach your children to stay in touch with missionaries. Have them write a letter once a week, once a month, once a quarter. Write a letter to a missionary. Can you imagine what that's like for that missionary to get a letter from one of your kids? Talking about the things kids talk about. The things that kids care about. What a delight it would be to know that the people in this congregation were remembering those missionaries specifically in very practical ways. What else can you pray for? Pray for opportunities for the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And over in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, Praying for us as well, that God will open up a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Listen, that's a great thing to pray. Lord, open the door for our missionaries. Open the door in the Philippines. Open a door in the Ukraine. Open a door in Romania or wherever else you're supporting the gospel. Open a door so our missionaries can do their work. Lord, hear us. Answer our prayer on their behalf. Pray for their family needs. You think it's tough for a missionary to go overseas, but he goes over and immerses himself in the work immediately. But his family's got to adjust every day, life. They don't have those initial contacts that the preacher has. They've got to learn to live in a very different culture and environment. Pray for the family. Have your kids send letters to the children of those missionaries and talk about what their lives are like and send them a gift or a present or a book or something that lets you know, lets them know you're thinking about them. Pray for their safety. In Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said this to the brethren at Rome. I'm looking at verses 30 and 31. I urge you, brethren, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. One last thing. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus said, Pray that the Lord of harvest will send reapers. Pray that there be more laborers in the Word and in the world. There's so much we can do in sharing in the gospel, in having koinonia with those who preach and proclaim the Word. Prayer can involve me in more ministries than I can financially be involved in or personally be involved in. It is important. It is of value to me and it is of value to others. I must pray.
pray for those. I hope that the things we've talked about tonight, I really hope they're challenging you. I hope that you're thinking there's so much we need to do, much more that we need to be doing in our lives. We do all of this, we share this gospel with others through these conduits of teachers and preachers to proclaim the love of God for all of us. And it is only, as we're going to sing, because He lives that we have life eternal. If you believe that, put your money and your resources and your heart and your actions and your feet into play and name Him Lord. If we can help you, you come while we stand and sing.